Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And even though the Toronto Raptors were eliminated, their season is over. As I told you, as we told you last week, we'll still be with you throughout the NBA postseason and into the offseason, free agency, etc., because there is always something to talk about. In fact, make sure you keep an eye on your podcast feed. Subscribe, rate, review, all that stuff so that you get the latest content because we might start sprinkling in bonus editions of the show on Mondays or Tuesdays. You're always going to get us fresh on Thursdays, but we might give you additional content throughout the week as well because, Jonesy, there is a ton to talk about when it comes to the postseason, especially in the first couple of rounds. And, uh, well, there's lots to talk about right now with two-time NBA champion and CEBL executive with the Montreal Alliance, Joel Anthony. Joel, lots to talk to you about, and, and, and we'll, hit you, we'll hit you up for a lot of different things, pick your brain on a lot of different stuff. But I want to ask you right off the bat, as a guy who has played against and with LeBron James, um, listen, one of our Canadian guys, Dylan Brooks, making headlines talking about LeBron James at his age, at this stage <laughs> of his career, uh, as a Laker, not quite the same LeBron James as he was in Miami, as he was in Cleveland. I don't know if that's the case. He looks pretty damn good to me. Uh, even knocking on the the door of 40 years old, but um, listen, just a very easy kind of softball right out of, at the out of the gate for you, Joel. How good is oh, LeBron sure. still? How good was LeBron? And what was it like going to battle against this guy in practice, let alone with him in games? Um, I would say I think it's pretty obvious he's still very good uh, at this at this age, which is what's so. Uh, you know, incredible to see for him to be able to play at such a high level still, uh, at, at this age, he's still, you know, like very, definitely very good. Um, I feel that it's just probably the most impressive thing is that there's just been a stead, like a slight, you know, decline. It's been very gradual, um, in terms of what you've seen from, you know, he still has, you know, he's still athletic, but it's not quite the athleticism where he was jumping completely over people. You know, but he's still uh, very much um, efficient and doing those things at a high level now. Um, but there isn't, I think, that much of a drop-off in terms of his mindset. Like, that is still the same. You still have to deal with, you know, the mind of Braun when you're playing against him. And I think that's what's always going to be consistent because he is, you know, been one of the highest IQ guys in the league and that doesn't change really from from year to year. And um, you know, in Miami, you, he was really able to put everything together finally. You know, uh, once he won his first championship, and you know what you saw then was just the athleticism, the um, you know all of the talent, and and then the mindset of someone that truly understood you know what it took to to win at the highest level. And, you know, probably I think like really, and this is even discussed, probably his peak was, you know, just leaving Miami, you know, going into Cleveland and where now it was all him and he took, you know, all his experiences from, you know, all those years to, uh, you know, carry uh, Cleveland to a championship. So uh, I definitely feel he's, you know, still playing at an extremely high level. Um, I, I don't think that's really up for debate. Um, he is older but not old, uh, I would I would say, where, 
you know, it's we're, we're talking about, you know, it might be time for him to retire. So, you know, the, Dylan is doing what he's, you know, uh, supposed to do for for his team. You know, he's 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 riding for his team. Um, you know, he he has a really good role, you know, uh, within that team, and you know, he'll he'll speak his mind. But I don't think it's something to, you know, take seriously in terms of thinking, you know, LeBron might be too old, you know, for for the game right now. Joel, let me ask this, and you've been there, uh, you know, a guy that's got a couple of rings. How tough is it, one, to close a team out in the playoffs, to actually beat a team four times? Two, how difficult is that when it's LeBron? And then three, what's it like when you are with LeBron? And I'm sure it gives you an infusion of confidence like, we got this guy, and we're going to be tough to beat. Like, like, if you can encapsulate those three things for me and how, how it goes come playoff time, because it's very different than a, a Wednesday night game in February. Oh, yeah, well, well, without a doubt. You know, playoff basketball is, is it's really a complete different league. Like, if you haven't played playoff basketball, like, you haven't, you know, you, there's a whole side of the NBA that you've missed. Um, I would say it is <laughs> extremely difficult to close someone out in an elimination game, um, you know. And but definitely even just a series, you know, to be able to, um, you know, consistently, you know, find ways to beat the same team over and over again. Um, in the NBA, consistency is one of the biggest things um, in terms of needing to be successful. You know what you what you would need. And to be able to, you know, and you, you could win one game, you know, even if it's a an intense game in the regular season, you know, you could win one, you could win two. But to be able to beat someone four times um, or within a short uh, period is, is definitely one of the most difficult things. You know, it's like a, you know, it, it's a marathon where you're, you know, just, you know, plugging away, fighting uh, just a long uphill battle. And to be able to reach that top is extremely difficult, uh, just because all the you know all the different strategies that are put into the game, the adjustments that are made throughout that time, uh, which is why the consistency is so important. You know, like you have, you know, your whole focus is on that team and on every player. The preparation that it takes uh, is so much more detailed. So it's it's extremely difficult to be able to beat a team. You know, in uh, in a seven game series, you know, which is why some people say they, you know, they they might beat us once or twice, but they can't beat us, you know, four times. Um, you know, doing that against someone like LeBron, because you know, like I mentioned, his his IQ, and in terms of his understanding of the game and understanding how to win at that level, um, which is huge in terms of having the experience and being through those battles of being to the finals and being able to you know win in the finals um, and to go through all those playoff experiences, you know, um, you know, that road along the way um, to have someone like that. And this is kind of like tied into both your, the second and third uh, question uh, to have someone like that on your team that, you know, at this point now who has been through that and understands what it takes and has seen everything, you know, um, you know, there really isn't, 
that much that you're going to throw at him that he hasn't seen. Whereas, you know, you have a young team, you're looking at Memphis that, you know, has, has played, you know, very good basketball throughout, you know, the season. And, you know, arguably we could say, you know, they've, they, they've played better, you know, than the Lakers overall throughout the regular season. But, you know, when you get to the playoffs, like that team has not been through, you know, those battles. I'm not sure how many guys have, you know, that type of playoff experience. Um, on that team right now. And that is stuff that you have to take into consideration um, because it's it really is a huge factor um, when it comes to, you know, what you need to be able to win, you know, at the, at the highest level. You know, people that have been there, um, you know, truly understand it. And, you know, being playoff tested is, is something you can't, you know, neglect. So, I, I think that's why I think it's it's going to be a good series. Like even though you know it's not as if uh, you know Cleveland, Cleveland uh, the Lakers came in with uh, home court advantage, they're uh, you know still going to be tough to beat. Even if you know people may have favored Memphis to begin with, um, because of their their experience and who they have, um, it's uh, it, it definitely makes it you know more difficult. You know, as opposed to, you know, Trent's trying to beat a team like that in the regular season. Hey, Joel, you just kind of touched on this, but I want to maybe dig a little bit further. Even even going back to our show last week, um, we had Alvin Williams on, and Jonesy, I know you asked Al about this, but Joel, I'll throw it to you. Um, when I use the, the Raptors as an example, but, but any team that missed the playoffs this year, the experience factor you're speaking of, I've got to assume that it's not just the physical experience and the game experience, but the mental experience as well of what it takes to have your mindset, your mind, body, and soul into a postseason series, into what you hope is a long postseason run, and hence then the importance for, let's say again, using Toronto as an example, a young player like a Scotty Barnes. He got a taste last year as a rookie, but now he's missed the playoffs this year. And it you know, always comes back to, and now you've got that unique perspective as well as, you know, albeit at a different level, but being a general manager, being an executive, and, and trying to put together a team and knowing the importance of playing playoff games for my young players, getting them the taste of the second season and not going into tank mode, not worrying about the draft and everything else, knowing that it's about the wins and the experiences which are hopefully going to make the individuals and thus the team better in the long run. Yeah, you're, you, you, you definitely need, you know, like I said, like that, that experience, you know. So for, for Scotty this first year to be able to go through that, is is huge, you know, like for his development. You know, I, I feel, you know, if you look at even, you know, when you think about the draft, like most of the higher draft picks, they're going to go to teams that have struggled more. Uh, obviously, like that's why they got, you know, those those draft picks. And you know, I, I guess there's you think about the balance in the world. Uh, you know, those higher draft picks will chances are playing on teams that aren't as good. And if they're able to make you know, an uh, impact that will carry them into the playoffs. You know, you, you do have some players that are, you know, talented like that. Like uh, Zion is, is, is someone, for example, like the, the Pelicans are a playoff team, you know, like with, um, you know, with him on the roster. Um, but, uh, you know, teams, uh, you know, young players that are able to have, you know, that playoff experience that, you know, that maybe they go later in the in the first round or in the second round and they, they end up playing on playoff uh uh, caliber teams like that's a whole different level of experience that they're going to get um, that's definitely going to help their development uh, overall uh, because it, it is that um, 
that second season and the mindset that you have uh, that you need to have to go through it. Obviously, you know, like you said, yes, there is the physical side of it. You know, there is a, a next level of preparation that you have to take when it comes to the playoffs. Um, but also mentally in terms of, you know, what you have to, you know, know about your opponent, the detail that goes into it, um, you know, understanding, you know, different situations and, you know, you, 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 you value more, you know, things like time score and possessions, you know, all of that becomes so much more important um, at that, at, at that level. So, you know, for younger players, it's, I think it's huge because, all of that then carries over into the regular season. You know, um, you know, the, the following year, you know, they've, they've been through that, even if it's one round um, of the playoffs, you know, that they've been through that and it helps them that much more when they get to the regular season and, you know, coaches going through things and, you know, they understand more, okay, this is why, you know, we, we, you know, we need to play like this. This is why we need to, you know, run these sets. This is why I have to prepare this type of way. And uh, I, I think it's, it, the, that is huge, you know, for for the development, the quality, I would say, of, you know, their uh, their experience on the court. You know, I, I would take, you know, uh, like one playoff series over, you know, uh, you know, twice as many regular season games just because it's it's a total, you know, different different world. Hmm. Joel, I, I, look, I know you're about a little over a month away from the start of uh, the CEBL schedule and, and Montreal kicking off against uh, Niagara River Lions. But uh, as a guy who was in the fight like that and, like I said, has come out on the top of the mountain with a couple of rings, uh, is, there a, is there a one series in the NBA or a couple that you're – I mean, obviously LeBron, a former teammate, you're keeping an eye on him. But is there any, any other series that you're looking at and saying – I'm kind of enjoying watching this one, and I think it's going to be a good series to watch. Um, I would say uh, I was looking forward to Golden State and Sacramento. Um, that was a series I was uh, really interested in um, because you have a team like Golden State that has a lot of their core um, from years past, and so they have the experience. you know. And Sacramento is playing great basketball. They've been playing great basketball all season. And they're playing at an extreme high level, and they're very locked in. They have a really good coach and staff, and you know, great players uh, playing at a high level now. So I think them meeting like that, it's it, it's going to make for an absolutely great series. Um, and you know, to, to that, that's probably you know, from what I could think of now, just one one of one of the series that I, I definitely look forward to, you know, watching the most. I haven't got I've been quite busy so I haven't got as much time to uh watch the games as I'd want, but uh the, the that series is one that I think uh you know will be really good uh just because of how uh they're they're able to match up against each other. Hey, Joel, seeing as you brought up Sacramento, I've got to ask you, listen, you can you can weigh in on whether you think Draymond should have been suspended or not. I, I'm of this camp that said I don't think he should have, in spite of the little stomp. I think he, you know, fine him, but he still plays in game three. That's just my side of things. But taking a different spin on it, when when I look at Sabonis' side of all of this, and I'm asking you specifically as a big man, one of the things I saw was 
was Sabonis, like the, 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 the bumping and the grinding and the elbowing and the bodies that are down low. I mean, that happens on damn near every possession, but he yanks Clay down to the floor. He falls to the floor. He's on his back. He reaches out. He grabs Draymond's leg. Like, how much of that is almost standard practice that fans maybe don't see all the time or that we don't always see? Those fine details where on every possession there is so much contact and it's a matter of what you can get away with sometimes as opposed to what you get caught doing when you're just battling for positioning, battling for rebound, especially when we talk about the intensity of playoff basketball. Yeah, the, the, those things those things do happen all the time. Um, it's... It's really tough, uh, obviously, to officiate because, you know, there's certain things where, you know, players are getting physical. You want to let certain things go, especially when you get to the playoffs. Um, you know, they, they do let a lot more uh, a lot more go, um, you know, because you understand, like, what, you know, the competition is, is, is like. Like, you're competing, obviously, at the highest level now. And, you know, so some of those things are, 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 are going to happen. You know, I think Draymond as a vet, you know, I, I don't know if he would take back exactly how he would do it. Like maybe, you know, he would want to just kind of point out to the fact more to the ref where, you know, you, you have your hands up and you're looking at the ref like, can you do something here, please? Like he's clearly, you know, grabbing me, drawing, drawing attention to it. Um, you know, but in, in the moment, uh, you know, the, the, those things, you know, like definitely do uh, happen all the time. You just have to find ways to play through it. Like I remember um, when, I, when I first got into the league, like all the, you know, basically almost every vet that I played against would always grab my arm if I was trying to go over to on help side defense because I had the defense of three seconds. And so you, you had to learn, um, you know, the different tricks and nuances like within that. So I knew that I couldn't, keep my hand out to try and touch, you know, the, the, the player that I was guarding, because if I did, like, I know he would grab on. So I would have to physically like move closer and just anticipate more when I had to rotate, you know? And so there, there's just little things that little things like that, that you just have to be able to figure out, you know, as, as you play, because, you know, those things are going to happen. Like the ref is not going to call like, you know, Ben Wallace grabbing my arm when I'm when I'm trying to go over. Like they're just not going to see that, or at least not see it all the time. So you know, you have to learn how to you know play through some of those things. And I think what you also see in the playoffs is like when those things are happening. Like for the most part, like guys do you know play through it. You know, you have some that aren't as experienced and they're you know complaining to the refs about this happening. But I've seen also a lot of times where like guys are you know like may have gotten fouled, may have gotten hit in the regular season, they'd be you know, jumping up and down and chasing the ref down the court. But, you know, this is playoff basketball. You have a bigger focus and, you know, you can't let that waver for anything like that because then, you know, it takes you off your game and, you know, you're you're doing nothing more after that than hurting your team. And it's unfortunate that, you know, Draymond, Draymond's in this situation now where, you know, this because of, you know, past trend, you know, past issues and things like that, um, you know, the, the league decided to, you know, suspend them. And so now going into game three, they're, you know, they're, they're down one of, um, well, one of their key players. Um, and, you know, as, as just a basketball fan, like you don't want that. You never want to see a team that's going to be down a man. Like, I guess, you know, maybe Sacramento fans were probably the only ones that might feel different, but you, you always want to see guys be able to go out at full strength. And, 
Um, you know, it's a player's job to try and do everything they can to, you know, stay, uh, uh, you know, stay within that and, you know, give themselves an opportunity to, you know, be on the floor at all times. Joel, you mentioned something there, you know, here you talk about playing a guy like Ben Wallace, who's has all the tricks of the trade as a veteran when you were playing against him. How much does experience count for in the playoffs? People are saying, wow. I mean, a lot of people were picking Golden State over over Sacramento. A lot of people are picking the Lakers over Memphis. Uh, the LeBron factor in that, in that latter series I mentioned, but the experience pack factor in the first series. Sacramento's proven over 82 games that they're a better team. And they're up 2-0 right now, although the series is not over, and you just talked to us about how tough it is to close out a series. What what factors does experience play? Because other than, you know, a couple guys, Harrison Barnes has a championship, Sabonis has been in the playoffs, but it's new for a lot of those other guys. And all the experience is on the bench in people like Jay Triano and Doug Christie and, and Coach of the Year Mike Brown. So, so it's always this kind of nebulous thing that you can't define people say, Oh, they don't have the experience. Like what is it? And, and, and how much does it matter? Uh, I, it, it matters. Uh, I think a great deal. It's not, you know, the be all and end all of everything. Um, you know, so if you look at Sacramento, like they have the, uh, the experience, they actually have that except it's uh, it's on the bench. You know, so they do have that experience. They have uh, coaches that have coached at, you know, uh, a high level and been through the playoffs. And they also have, you know, a player, you know, like in someone like Doug Christie, who has been, you know, to, you know, to to, to a lot of uh, finals, Western Conference finals, and, um, you know, has, has been through those battles and, and through those wars. And so can explain it from a player's point of view. You know, for that, so I think they they actually do. Sacramento actually does have you know like some experience, and obviously, like you'd want to be able to you know see that from you know players that are currently playing as well. But you know, they're not totally inexperienced. You know, they may have a younger team, but you know they their staff is you know the you know the ones that are going to provide you know that experience. So it's not as lopsided as you know people might. Uh, want to make it seem, uh, but obviously, like well, with the Lakers, um, you know, ha- having a, a lot more guys that have playoff experience, but especially you know, Bron, who is, um, you know, who who has been able to, you know, be there and who's actually on the court, you know, that does you know change things. But it's it's not the you know be all end all of everything, but I, I do feel it is a huge factor. Um, you know, with uh, you know, with with players like that, and you know, you look at Golden State and, and their whole uh, the, their whole core uh, with you know Clay, Steph, and Draymond that have you know won multiple championships, and and they you know they they really understand what it takes you know to get there. Like, there's no with with Draymond gone, it's a little bit more difficult. But if if Draymond wasn't you know you know wasn't going to be suspended, I don't think there would be any panic you know, with them because all they did was lose on the road. You know, you obviously want to, you know, you're usually going to the playoffs. If you're, if you're going on the road, you're looking to steal, steal one game and, you know, maybe get greedy and take two. But um, even if you don't accomplish that, you know, the series doesn't really start until you, you know, someone loses at home. So, 
uh, an experienced team, you know, would, would, would understand that. They wouldn't be worried. And they've been through that also. Like, they, it's not even just talk. They've actually physically been through that. So, you know, that that's something that actually, you know, does, does change for them. So it will be interesting to see what happens, you know, because you do have uh, some, you know, a team that has been through experience, has been through adversity, and they're facing it now. And we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, really we'll, what that team's, uh, you know, makeup is like, uh, you know, come, uh, come game three. Hey, Joel, we really appreciate the time today. And, uh, listen, we'll look forward to catching up again maybe over the course of the summer in the midst of the CEBL season and, of course, as we count down uh, to the World Championships as well for Team Canada. Lots to discuss with you and pick your brain on. But, again, folks, the CEBL season about a month away from tipping off and uh, Montreal's first game coming up on Friday, May 26th against Niagara. Joel, always appreciate your insight. Thanks for this. All right, no problem. Thanks for having me. Always great chatting with Joel Anthony. We're going to quickly switch gears and go from Joel Anthony, but keep the playoff chatter going uh, with one of the greats, the guy that joins us uh, quite a bit throughout the season and has four years from ESPN, Tim Bontemps. All right, Tim, walk with me for a second here and, and tell me whether I'm right, wrong, or where you land on this. First if, of all, first of all, first of all, okay, Tim. All right, what? Tim, dangerous when he says walk with me, okay? I've been there for like 20 years. Like just, you know, make sure you're close to a railing or a staircase because, you know, walking with Eric I'm on this could ride, be... Jonesy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll see what happens. I, and at the last second, I might, you know, drop your hand and push you in front of the oncoming train. But, all right. If, if, and I underscore if, if Draymond doesn't go to center court and towards his bench – and start hamming it up with the crowd and going WWE style and cutting his wrestling promo and interacting with the fans and showing up the refs and showing up the league and putting himself in the spotlight, would he be suspended for game three still just based on the foot stomp, the little fracas that would happen with Sabonis laying on the floor? I mean, you would have to say no, just based off the way Joe Dumars has explained how they came to this decision. But I, I think regardless, it, this was just not the right call to make. Um, and I hope the Warriors win tonight so that both the series isn't remembered that. And frankly, the Kings, the way the Kings played is not remembered or is not forgotten either, right? Because if the Warriors lose this game with Draymond suspended, it's going to become a story of how the NBA decided the series rather than mm-hmm. Sacramento deciding the series, right, with the way they've played. So I hope from that standpoint, Golden State wins the game. But, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I Draymond, it's a complicated question because does Draymond deserve to be suspended? Probably just based off of his long history of, uh, you know, putting himself in these kind of situations. You're going to get burned if you continue to do that. But at the same time, um I just don't – I just did not – there was no one who was clamoring for him to be suspended after that game, right? Everybody was like, he got ejected. He should have got ejected. Sabonis started by grabbing his foot. Mm-hmm. Should have been a move on to game three, and let's have a great series continue to be really entertaining to watch. And I still think it's going to be entertaining to watch, and I actually think Golden State is going to win today, um, even without Draymond, just because they have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, and these guys have been in these kind of moments before, and they're going to have a huge chip on their shoulder, and they're going to be at home. I think they're due to shoot well and win, but it was odd to me that the NBA chose this moment to step in and put its foot on the scale when, you know, they have a flagrant foul system for a reason and 
by giving him a flagrant two, they not only eject him from a game, he's got two flagrant foul points from being suspended for another game, which is how he got suspended back in 2016 in the first place. So right. I just thought yeah. the, the whole decision was, to me, a little inconsistent, and I would have preferred they just let this thing roll along and have him out there to start game three tonight. See, Josie, yeah. I'm not crazy. I'm not the only no, one that didn't think he. No, but, you're hey, not. But anyway, you're not. Go ahead. And and I, and I'll say this. You're you know you're right, Eric. You're not. And and as somebody at a different level in a different space that has meted out punishment, um, Draymond's that kid in the schoolyard. When you go outside and there's a fracas, he's always in the middle of it, right? And he's like, but Mr. Bontemps, yep. like the principal, Mr. Bontemps, but Mr. Bontemps, he grabbed my leg. And you're like, yeah, I know, Draymond, but you're always in the middle of it, right? And I can see where, I can see both sides. I, I can see him not being suspended. And like, you know, you took your punishment for that game and what happened there. But here he is now, like you said, back in 2016. Did he, did he cost the Warriors the championship then by getting suspended? Like, it's It's... It's, I can see it well, either that's way. The thing. The, the, the thing I don't like about it, Jonesy, is the inconsistency of it, right? You never right. see the NBA suspend guys for past history in the playoffs, right? Like, it's just a completely unprecedented thing to do. And to choose now to do that, I think, is a strange time to, to set a new precedent, right? Yeah. Different like, boss, though, People Tim. just remember... Different. Different no, boss, though, right? same boss, like, though. No, well, no Joe the same, Dumars the is the same boss. Joe Dumars has a different uh, look, It's though. the same. I know, but it's the same boss. It, this is an Adam Silver decision, right? At the end yeah. of the day, Adam Silver is signing off on this. If Adam Silver said, we're not going to suspend Draymond for game three, he would have been suspended, right? Like, this is a – Adam Silver is in charge, and on this kind of decision that could have pretty massive ramifications, he's going to have a voice in how it goes. And at yeah. the end of the day, you go back to 2016, people don't remember the fact that he, Draymond was not suspended for Game 5 because of any one particular act, right? It was because he, he accumulated flagrant foul points over the course of the playoffs. Now, if you had said in that instance, well, Draymond has had 17 of these incidences during this in particular playoffs, and we're going to suspend it for a game because this is the fifth time we're having this discussion in a month and a half, I think then you could have had an argument that he, he had, the past incidents had led to him being suspended then, right? Instead, you're sort of saying, well, Draymond's got a lifetime achievement award for always being in the middle of things. Well, mm -hmm. you never suspend guys for this in the past, and now you're choosing to do it at a, a massively critical time. It's just, it's a strange moment for the NBA to, like I said, to decide that now is the time they're going to make a statement. Right. When nobody was asking for it. Like and also it, I do think it's relevant that Sabonis did start this. If Draymond had just done this stuff without any provocation, I think it would be much easier to understand why he was suspended. But to me, this is short of the LeBron technical in 2016. This is one of the greatest technicals ever picked up by a player. I mean, you not only get Draymond <laughs> thrown out of game two, you get him thrown out of game three. Like, if you're Sabonis, that's, that's a massive – I mean, you, the, the, he and the Kings will pay the, the few thousand dollar fine and laugh all the way to the bank doing it. They won't think twice about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, is Golden State coming go ahead, back Jones. to win the go, series? Go. No, I was going to say, is Golden State coming back to win the series, Tim? Uh, 
experience. I think uh, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna come back and win the series. Still, I think they'll win today, and I think they'll win Game Four, and I I think they will win because look, the Kings have played awesome in the first two games, not shot the ball well, and they were two toss up games in Sacramento, right? And the Warriors lost them both close. And I, you know, it, in a lot of ways. It's not exactly the same game, but it reminds me in some ways of Bucks raptors in 2019 where, um, you know, you had a Milwaukee team that had not really been in that kind of position before, won the first couple games at home, and then came to Toronto, had a chance to end the series, didn't in game three, and led a veteran team off the mat, right? And even though the Raptors had not, gotten to that point before the Raptors had been in the conference finals before the Raptors had had a lot of playoff experience with that group before and you know had Marcus Saul been in the playoffs a ton of times and this Warriors team is prepared for this in a way the Kings are not and so I think a lot in a lot of ways this game is going to come down to tonight if they if Golden State it's I would even say in some ways it's like Lakers Grizzlies last night if the Warriors can get off the mat today and get this win and get it back to 2-1 I really like their chances to win three of the next four um because they, this is not a group that's going to be phased by being in a hole um, in a playoff series in the first round. Tim, let me flip gears, uh, switch gears over to the Eastern Conference. Um, we can get away from the ref stuff and the off-the-court stuff in a second and talk more X's and O's, but I do have to say that it was quite rich, quite rich to listen to Joel Embiid, of all people, the other night talk about people complaining to officials and then saying, oh, the – you know that 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 the Nets are looking like uh, you know like Nick Nurse out there, like the Raptors. Like talk about you know take a look in the mirror. A guy that that complains quite a bit, but he's had a hell of a year. They look pretty damn good. Well, and am I on. wrong to hold think? On. Okay, hold go on. Ahead. Go ahead. Go hold ahead. On. Go ahead. Hold go on. Ahead. I I I like Nick a lot, and I've known Nick a long time now. Nick certainly likes to complain to the refs, and he certainly did a Absolutely. lot of complaining to the refs last year. And I I I laughed at Joel's. Uh, reference because, I mean, look, after game one, the, the Nets got smoked, and the first thing Jock Vaughn said was, well, I hope they start calling travels in three seconds on Joel Embiid in game two, which was a smart gamesmanship move. And by the way, they got a travel call on Nick Clax- on, on him when he was guarded by Nick Claxton in game two, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it worked to some degree. So I would, I, would, uh, I would take it as a sign of respect because Joel, uh, Joel, Joel talks a lot about the way Nick's team's guard him and uh how it's different than most other teams do and I, I think he has a good level of respect for him well and 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 i was kind of sort of going there the the last part of my question was going to be in spite of any of that or 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 in addition to all that he and they they being the sixers look ready finally to be taken that ultimate next step like they've looked damn good all year and they're looking pretty damn good the first couple games of this series like is this team the one that milwaukee needs to be worried about most well, I mean, I still think they're underdogs against Boston. It's never been a good matchup for the Sixers. But, look, this is, this is a completely overwhelming matchup for Philadelphia, right? I mean, the, 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 the Nets just don't have the horses to, um, to match up with Joel Embiid from a physicality standpoint. I mean, it's the biggest mismatch of any team in the first round, him against that Brooklyn front line. And, you know, it, could the Nets win one of these two games? Sure. The, the Sixers have been known to kick things around and, and blow opportunities. Um, but to me, what will be interesting to see is whether the Sixers can keep their foot on the gas and win these two games 
and sort of send a message that they're not going to mess around this year. Um, Cause you guys know last year, like the, as that series against the Raptors went from what could have been a sweep to a six game series, you know, Joel hurt his thumb and then you had Joel get hit in the face with the Pascal elbow. Right. And that changed their whole playoffs. So to me, they're, they, have a, they have a massive advantage in this series. They should take care of it and win these two games over the next three days. And if they're serious about getting through Boston and getting through Milwaukee, take care of business this weekend, get a week off till you got to play in the second round, and get yourself ready to play uh, in, uh, you know, the Celtics in that second-round series, which has got a chance to be maybe the best and most important series of the playoffs outside the finals when you look at the potential ramifications on both sides. Tim, before I go back to the West, I want to stay in the East and touch on uh, New York, Cleveland. Um, we just had Joel Anthony on. Uh, we, we, well, actually, we had talked to Joel Anthony and and talked about uh, experience. And I'm looking at Cleveland and New York. Um, does the experience factor, other than Donovan Mitchell in in Cleveland, does the experience factor the experience card? Do you think that it, it plays a role? And that, I mean, that's shaping up to be a pretty good series. I think it's going to be pretty crazy at, at, in, at Madison Square Gardens in, in, in game three and four. Oh, I'm really excited to be at the Garden tomorrow night. I think it's going to, change. It's going to be an, an unbelievable atmosphere uh, for game three, 8.30 on a Friday night. It's going to be uh, lit, as the kids say, at the Garden. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, I think we'll know the answer to that, Jonesy, with how the Cavs respond right? They came out and played really well in game two, played hard. You kind of knew that was going to happen, right? I mean, as you guys know, for years, the Raptors lost so many games, game ones at home, and then had to bounce back and win game two and get back in the series. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, that was the situation the Cavs were in, same as Memphis last night. You always see teams down one all at home. They're going to come out knowing their season's on the line if they lose the game. But let's see how they respond playing on the road in New York, uh, and what's going to be an unbelievable environment. Can they come out and play with poise and be locked into what they need to do? Or are they going to get out of their heads a little bit and, and out of their games and, and sort of let the energy and the emotion of the night uh, overcome them? I, I think the answer to that question is going to determine probably how this series shakes out because the top four guys on the Cavs are, are better than the top four guys on the Knicks, and they do have some structural advantages in their favor. But – between offensive rebounding and the bench, the Knicks have some some things they can push back the other way with, and it's going to be on uh, you know it's going to be on Cleveland to to play with the same kind of energy and aggression that it did in Game Two, and if if they do and they handle the emotions of the next couple of days, they'll be right back in the series. All right, Jonesy, you had one more on the Western Conference, and then we probably got to let Timmy go, so I'll, you, I'll let you double up. You said you wanted to jump west again for a second. Yeah, I did. I did. I, and I wanted to talk about Dylan Brooks uh, talking about LeBron being old and the gamesmanship going on there. And, uh, you know, when right. it first started without Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark, and now you throw no John Morant in there and his status up in the air for the next game, uh, everybody thought, okay, that's it. Memphis is dead in the water. And as you said, down one nothing, come out knowing their season's on the line. They tie the series at one. But is this still a foregone conclusion in many people's eyes that it's going to be the Lakers? I mean, it never was in mine, so I'm not sure about other people. But, I mean, look, this series, if, if Anthony Davis is the best player on the court, like he was in game one, the Lakers are going to be favored to win the game. 
that Anthony Davis is not the best player on the court and he was not in game two, then Memphis is going to win the game, right? That That's really set everything else aside. That's what this series is going to come down to over the next five games. Can Anthony Davis be the best player on the court in three or more of the next five games? If he can, the Lakers are probably going to be in pretty good shape to advance. If he can't, then Memphis should win the series. It's, it's really, to me, that simple. And you look at how that game played out. Um, you look at how that game played out last night, and, you know, AD sort of floated around. He was 4 for 14 from the field. And Memphis, you know, was the aggressive team and, and took it to the Lakers. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, is, you know, people will focus on the fact that the Lakers didn't score. The Lakers are always going to struggle to score. They don't have a very good offensive team. What they need to do is stop the Grizzlies so they can get out in transition and score that way. And because Memphis kept getting easy buckets, they kept being able to set up their defense. And because they kept setting up their defense, it allowed it forced the, the Lakers into half-court offense where they struggled. So there's a lot of attention on Dylan Brooks and the stuff said about LeBron, and I get that. But to me, that's all a feint. And it goes away from the thing the Lakers need to do, which is to feature Anthony Davis and have him be aggressive and engaged and impactful. And if he's the best player on the court, then the Lakers should win this series. So I understand. I know Dylan's from up there. It was great for him to be leading first take today and having our my network talk about him all day today. But this, if this series becomes about Dylan Brooks versus LeBron James, that's a win for Memphis. This, if this series is about Anthony Davis, that's where the Lakers want it to be. And if the Lakers, if the Lakers have it stay on Anthony Davis and the focus is on Anthony Davis's play, it's probably going to mean the Lakers are a good chance to advance. Tim, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Anytime, guys. Talk to you soon. Always good chatting with Tim Bontemps and Jonesy. I'd say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but you know he just mentioned Anthony Davis being the story for the Los Angeles Lakers, and if he is the story, the Lakers win the series. Well, I'll tell you, thank goodness Anthony Davis doesn't play hockey. Maybe you could say that about anybody. I mean, heck, if this was me, I'd be out for life probably as well. But was it Morgan Barron with the Winnipeg Jets? 75 stitches to his face. He took a skate across his face, across his eye, went back and got stitched for 75 and came back to play. Dare I say if that was Anthony Davis or any NBA player, and and if it was me, like done for the year. Like forget a game, forget a series, done for the year. Like that's unbelievable to me that a guy comes back from 75 stitches to the face when we see some of the bumps and bruises and tweaks that basketball players or football players or baseball players get. Man, I got to throw some major props to these hockey dudes, what they battle through sometimes. Oh, yeah. Uh, the will to win is incredible. And, um, hey, man, like we're both Canadian, and we'll say this. These hockey guys are built differently. They really are. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, like I, I don't necessarily agree with this notion that the Stanley Cup is the hardest trophy to win. I, I don't agree with that notion. But I do agree with the fact that these hockey guys will do anything to win that cup, to get their hands on the cup. They will. I mean, you're coming back from, you know, like something that, as you say, that would put me and you out for life. I may never play again if I got that. It's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm not. I ain't playing anymore. And guy comes back in the same game. But it's the playoffs, Ian, and – in any sport, when you get down to the playoffs and you're climbing the mountain and you're almost to the top, man, nothing gets in your way. No, you just try to make sure nothing gets in your way because you just don't know when 
if you'll ever get back to that point. Yeah. Well, that's the old adage is, are you hurt or are you injured? Because there is a difference. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. especially when it comes to the playoffs. All right, let's step aside for a quick break here, and we'll continue with more Smith & Jones in a moment. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Again, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, share it. Fresh content every Thursday, but as I already teased during this episode, we might be throwing in some bonus content throughout the postseason. So make sure you keep an eye on that feed as we could have new shows, fresh shows on Mondays and or Tuesdays as well. Having said all of that, as I said earlier in this show, we're keeping it going through the postseason in spite of the fact that we're not talking a lot of Raptors because the Raptor season has ended. But that said, it's still going to be a very busy offseason, I think, for the Toronto Raptors. Not much has happened in the last seven days, but I think in the next seven days, or certainly in the next seven weeks, as we look ahead to the summertime and the offseason, it's going to be coming fast and furious. To uh, talk a little bit about that, perhaps, and more, uh, our colleague from Sportsnet, columnist and broadcaster, Michael Grange. Michael, hope you're enjoying the offseason, what little offseason you've had thus far, but how busy do you think you will be uh, sooner than later when it comes to Raptor announcements, Raptor moves, and just the Raptor uh, tweaks and or all overhauls that might be coming over the uh, coming weeks and months? Yeah, I think it could be pretty steady. Um, I'm getting less and less convinced and maybe more leaning more the other way that, that I think, you know, we're going to have, you know, everyone's presuming, kind of expecting in some ways there'll be a coaching change. I'm kind of feeling a little less certain, a little less certain of that. Um, just as time goes on here, I think there's uh, a reasonable chance that you know we see some status quo there as it relates, relates to Nick Nurse and the Raptors. Um, you know, and then if that does indeed shake out, that it's kind of like uh, you know to uh, you know a couple that decides to kind of work out their differences a little bit and keep moving. Um, then you start looking at the roster and, you know, on, on one level, um, you know, it's hard to justify this roster not getting some kind of makeover. But then when you look at, you know, kind of the options you have to make changes, uh, they're a little bit limited unless you want to get into some pretty serious moves. So, um, you know, I got to play it down the middle. Like, like I wouldn't be surprised if there's some huge changes and, and uh, things really develop. But the other side wouldn't surprise me either. I, I, like I said, I think, I think, you know, it's hard. It's, everyone would love to see everything change and shift and move, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Yeah, Michael, and we know we've been around this a long time. Sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make. And to that end, I mean, there's all kinds of speculation about Nick being with another franchise. And then last night, an interesting development uh, when uh, it was it was reported that Tommy Shepard was out in Washington and everybody kind of knows where that history was or the reports of the history was uh, in terms of the jury and Washington and and everybody. Now, I, I had people going, hmm, is that a thing now or should it not be like how was long was his extension? And, and what else is going on there? And so it just, like, it kind of maybe throws another variable on the periphery, but um, I, I'm with you. I'm, I, I'm seeing the quiet before some movement, and I can, like you said, play it down the middle. I can see big movement, or I can see, you know, the, 
the front office saying, well, look, you, you have a championship coach. No matter who was on the roster, this guy led the team to a championship, and not many coaches can say that. And if you have one of those guys, why are you getting rid of them? The same thing with some of the guys on the roster. You look at an OG Ananobi who finished seventh in defensive player of the year. You're looking for a 3D strong guy, multiple positions, good shooter, put it on the floor. Like, you have one of those guys. Why are you getting rid of them? So I, I, I'm with you, Michael, in that I can see it being played. I can very much play it down the middle. Yeah, and I mean, I just think that it was funny. I hadn't even connected the uh, Messiah stuff with Washington. And of course, for people who maybe don't remember back, I, literally it was the night they won the title in 2018, or sorry, 2019. And, uh, you know, it came out that the, the Wizards were going to make a big push for Masai and maybe there'd be an ownership stake included and all of that. And, of course, it never really happened. And I would be like I just don't it is not going to happen this time I mean Jerry's extension is for he's got uh it was a five-year deal he's I think got four years left um if not three if not four it's three and it was a rich deal with a lot of like a like a lot of kind of bells and whistles around it so um yeah I wouldn't worry too much about that one but um you know I just I just think that that I think something has to happen, right? Like you can't come back and be the same after coming back and being roughly the same and, you know, just having quite a, you know, a fairly disappointing year. But, you know, as they take this time to reflect, so to speak, you know, they're probably going to look at the fact that they lost more three-point games than any other team in the league that, you know, that the league, if anything, parity is becoming – a bigger feature of it than less. And so, you know, is this really the time to be kind of selling off really good, not selling off, but, you know, moving off of really good players um, when, you know, if you, with just the right type of addition, and we saw what they did with Jakob Pertl, you can maybe imagine yourself a little, you know, into the mix. And, and as it relates to Nick, um, Look, there was definitely some pretty tense moments, I think, as this season went along. I mean, this is a team that went, I think, 12-21 and 21 over a two-month stretch. Uh, so you can imagine what it was like internally. But, um, you know, when things kind of cool down, I'm sure Nick looks at it and goes, you know what, like, this is a pretty good job. They do have me under contract. Um, you know, I better be careful what I wish for. If they were to kick me to the curb, I'm sure I'd find another one. But, you know, and from the Raptors' point of view is, well, why would you be in a rush to fire a guy you know is a good coach? Yeah. And, um, you know, before at least investigating how much he's willing to accommodate or um, adjust and and what he could do with, you know, if you, I think they'd have to be honest and say there were some holes on this roster. So if you fill them um, or can fill them, you know, you'd, I presume you'd want a guy like Nick Nurse coaching them anyway. So uh, that's kind of where I'm coming from on that. So, Michael, let me ask you this, and I'm at, at the risk of sort of repeating much of what we've just discussed these last couple of questions. Um, you've got, by, by most people's accounts, at least a top ten, if not a top five coach in the league, I think by most people's uh, evaluations. You've got a former all-star point guard and NBA champion point guard. You've got a multi-time all-star, multi-time all-NBA player. 
You've got a guy that uh, just got a couple of votes, at least a handful of votes for Defensive Player of the Year who considered one of the best defensive players in the game. You've got a guy who was the Rookie of the Year last year. Like, there's a lot of good pieces on this team, all of whom were rumored and heavily rumored around trade deadline just two months ago. So they are known and valuable and wanted assets around the league. So to the point that you made about, yeah, why not bring them back then? Why not run it back? But if you hope to improve or at least uh, be different next year than what you were this year, you would assume you have to give in order to get. This is going to be way easier to ask you this question in a month or two or three from now when we see the dust settle. But like, and and I'm not trying to go down the trade rumor path. I don't want to put you even in a a, a tough spot of oh I I think it's this player. But like, is there a is there a path right now where this path makes more sense, or moving that player makes more sense, or 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 trying to do it through free agency and not trade? Like, what? What direction do you think this goes? Because here's another one. I know it's a very long-winded question here. But the other thing I look at is if you're not improved next year, you run the risk of you might not even have a first-round draft pick next year. So, like, if people are thinking tank, 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 you might not have a first-round pick next year. So your tank or your bad year off the rails might be all for naught. All the more reason to still be good next year and be better than this year. Oh, I I mean, that's, you know, that's a – a good point, and I, I think you know the Raptors don't make that trade and include those protections if they were really worried that they wouldn't be at least the what is the top six protected, so at least the twenty yeah. fourth best team in the league or twenty third best team in the league, whatever that would add up to. Um, you know, and, and I think you know that's kind of a the one thing about that is like if they are like coming down the stretch and they're twenty third, I'm pretty sure they can find themselves. Or twenty fourth, like in other words, if they're at risk of of, of uh, you know giving away the seventh best pick in the draft, like I'm pretty sure they would they would uh, find them as well, find a way to be make sure they would keep it and it would stay in the top six. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yes. If, yeah, if you follow, right? So I think the risk of that tra- of that pick, you know, going the other way if it's a, if it's truly a high lottery pick is pretty low for a couple of reasons. Um, but as you point out, you know, there are a lot of positive assets here. You know, I think I've said and will say again that the issue is that there's not enough after that, right? It's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a top heavy team in the sense of you do have, you know, as you point out, like four or five really key kind of players that any team would want and need. But the challenge is at the very high end of those, you know, you don't have a Giannis, an Embiid, a Kawhi, a Durant, like those half, you know, maybe six to eight guys in the league that can kind of turn your, you know, your four or five, that, that can kind of lift your team. Like, I'm not saying that Pascal Siakam's an awesome player, but, you know, we just saw his best season. And did he fundamentally change the trajectory of your team? I would say no. Um you know, and that's not Pascal's fault. I think that's because this team doesn't have enough horsepower, um, kind of supporting in in supporting roles. Um, you know, so the question is is how do you kind of move ahead when you don't have a lot of prospect capital, you don't have a lot of draft capital, um, and and this is why I've kind of keep returning to you probably do have to trade one of your core. 
And when you figure that Fred VanVleet's not under contract, so kind of hard to trade him. Gary Trent's not under contract. It's kind of hard to trade him. You just traded for Jakob Pertl, so I presume you're going to sign him. Um, it kind of whittles down to, and, you know, Scotty Barnes, I don't think anyone's trading him anytime soon. Um, so it kind of gets whittled down to, are you trading, would you investigate trading OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam? And of those two, one guy turns uh, 29, I believe, any day now, and the other guy is 21 years old or just turned 22. Or sorry, in Ananobi's case, is 25, I should say. So, you know, it, it, to me, it's just kind of, when you kind of work through it, it keeps coming back to, would this team make a significant move and trade Pascal Siakam? And um, I'm not saying they will at all, but, you know, I think if they decide that they've got to make do something to change the character and, you know, rebalance their lineup and maybe open up some breathing room for Barnes, um, you know, it, it kind of looks like that's it, – it sort of keeps coming back to him. Um and that will be, I'm sure we'll hear stuff about that over the summer. But just like as with, you know, this, this noise about Nick and stuff, you could go in the marketplace and start kind of sniffing around with a bunch of deals and go, you know what, like, are we really going to do better than a 29-year-old guy who is still getting better, who is born and raised in the organization, who is zero risk off court? Um, you know, the answer might be no. And then, then it becomes what can we do to supplement this group? Um, you know, because it's desperate and, you know, we know what it needs. How do you, how do you fill those needs? Michael, I, I want to uh, kind of get your opinion, big picture on, on the NBA playoffs. Um, everybody's focused on what happened with Draymond Green. Um, where, where do you stand on that? The suspension warranted or not? And do you suspend uh-huh. the guy in the playoffs at a critical juncture that, that, really could swing the fortunes of the series. If Golden State goes down 0-3, um, you know, the, I think it's 0-127. Teams have never come back from 3-0. And everybody keeps saying it's going to happen one day, but, um, you know, is this the time, the way the Kings are playing and, and, and uh, the way the Warriors have been, particularly on the road? Your, your thoughts on the suspension? Well, I mean, do I think it's warranted? It was like a hundred and a thousand percent warranted. You know, I mean, I was stunned that most people didn't think it was warranted. You know, you look at that yeah. video over and over again, and sure, uh, Sabonis kind of got his hands tangled up, and but I think if you really are looking that honestly, he was mostly just trying to protect himself. And you know what what uh, Draymond did was outrageous. I'm sorry. It was just outrageous. And if you turn around and punch him in the face, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I'm not sure exactly, or even punched him in the stomach, right? Like, you know, I'm not sure why, like, raising your leg and stomping it down on a guy's chest while he's lying defenseless is somehow a debatable thing. Like, yeah, he should have been suspended. Yeah. Like, and I don't, I'm not even one of those guys who says it's because of track record and X, Y, and Z. If Steph Curry had done that, yeah, I would have said suspend him too. Like, I just don't think leagues should be in the business of, you know, overlooking what are pretty obvious violent acts. You know, it doesn't make him Draymond Green. I'm not saying he should be, like, kicked out of the league or anything, but he should have been suspended. So, and the debate about it I find really weird and amusing. But um, And if it ends up costing the Warriors their run of the title or defense, well, 
you know what, Draymond's, you know, it's going to go down as Draymond helped them for sure win four titles. He cost them almost certainly one title. And, you know, and I think if they end up uh, going down 0-3 and, you know, never really count out the Warriors, but it's a pretty, uh, you know, the, the numbers are pretty convincing in terms of not coming down back from 0-3. Um, you know, he'll have cost them maybe a, a title defense. So, you know, that's, they always say yeah. everyone's living yeah. on the edge, and that's, there's no more better definition than that. Hey, Michael, and I, I've said this before as a, as a guy who's been in the, uh, in the business of unfortunately having to mete out punishment. It's like going out in the schoolyard, and there's a, there's a, a fracas, and you go out there, and there's Draymond Green, that kid in the schoolyard that's always in the middle of it, and you say, what happened? He goes, well, he grabbed my leg. Yeah, but you're, you're always in these. You're always in these. And, and as much as you think the track record doesn't matter, I, I think it does, and I think Joe Dumars was pretty out there with it. Here's a guy who's gaining a track record, Dylan Brooks. What did you think about his comments regarding LeBron? And, and just quickly reflecting back, are the Warriors dead? And do you think L.A., a lot of people think L.A. still wins this series over Memphis the way they're banged up? Yeah, I would still kind of lean to L.A. I mean, you know, I think it's a little curious to me how game-to-game inconsistent Anthony Davis can be and has been. But, you know, when I say I think L.A. could win, and I, I almost think they could win it all, it's presuming that Anthony Davis is like the wrecking ball. And when we, he's at his best, he's you know, top three, five player in the league, right? And then all of a sudden LeBron's a supporting character. So we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, You know, but I would would still pick with my pick LA I did before the series. Um, Dylan Brooks, you know, it's it's funny. I just wish people would have the opportunity to know Dylan Brooks outside of this character he's taken on. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's being fake because, I mean, this is – this is part of Dylan too, but he is also maybe one of the nicest NBA players I've ever met. Like, you know, he's just super easy to talk to, super friendly, Uh, not like not an ounce of pretense to the guy. And so it kind of like, it's it's pretty jarring when he kind of, and it's been happening now solid. It feels like for months, this kind of uh, wrestling, uh, you know, heel thing he's got going on. But, you know, it seems to give just the way Draymond's, you know, just the way Draymond's thing seems to give, you know, the Warriors, who are a pretty mild-managed bunch, it kind of gives them some room to breathe. I think it gives, you know, Memphis some room to breathe. And, and it takes a lot of guts to stand up to and, and, like he said, poke bears. And he's not poking, you know, he's poking big bears, right? Like, he's he's not scared of anybody. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're a – you know, playing with a guy like that, it does two things. One is it takes a lot of pressure off you because no one's really paying attention to you. But two, it puts some pressure on you that, you know, you got to go help. You got to, do you really want to win? Cause he's, he's putting it out there. Like he's really willing to risk some stuff to try and win. And if you're not willing to follow as a teammate, then, you know, it looks bad on you. And so, I think uh, as long as he kind of keeps it within the lines and he doesn't get himself suspended and he's not taking too many texts um, and the rest of it, you know, I think it's, 
you know, it's an art to what he's doing, and, and, and you know, I, I respect him for it. Michael, appreciate the time, as always. Uh, hit him straight this offseason. I'm sure we're going to be chatting with you again real soon. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. That was Michael Grange from Sportsnet and, of course, sportsnet.ca. Uh, folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, share it. And as I've mentioned a couple of times during this episode, we're hoping to provide some bonus content throughout the postseason as well. So lots of Smith & Jones. Thanks to Joel Anthony, Michael Grange, and Tim Bontemps for Austin Mackey and Mark Boffel for Paul Jones. I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith & Jones. Enjoy the NBA playoffs.